Welcome to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have real, honest, smart, and sometimes even hilarious conversations about co-parenting, separation, and divorce, and all that goes along with that. I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, Certified Life and Relationship Coach, and Happily Divorced Mom, who helps women decide if they should stay in or leave their marriages, and then guides them through the process one step at a time. Hey, everyone. It's been a long time since I've done a solo podcast, so today I'm jumping back in, and I'm going to talk to you in a little while later uh, about how taking responsibility for your own shit in your marriage is basically the most personally empowering thing you can do, even though it might seem weak or scary or like you're giving up or giving in, but the truth is that taking personal responsibility is possibly and probably the most courageous and empowering thing you can ever do in almost any circumstance. So we're going to get to that later. Uh, But first, I want to come clean about some stuff. So I've been a little quiet here lately, and I wanted to tell you what's been going on. I have spent the last three or four months uh, struggling with some pretty serious depression. Now, if you follow me on Instagram or Facebook, which you totally should if you're not, by the way, (laughs) all the links are on my website, kateanthony.com. But if you've been following me here, I, uh, oh, there, over there on social, um, I have posted a few things about it. Um, And I tend to be pretty transparent on social media about stuff that I struggle with. My general feeling is that the less that we hide and the more we come out and share our truths, the more we normalize things for other people. So I talk about my depression pretty openly. Um, So, but I just, but I haven't talked about it here that much. So I'm just going to dip into it a little bit. So I, you know, I've always said that I suffer from chronic depression. And in thinking about it this week, I realized that that's wrong. Actually, what I, what I really suffer from is acute depression, which means that I don't live with it all the time, right? Something that's chronic is something that's always there. Something that's acute is something that flares up. So really my depression is acute. So I don't live with it all the time, but when it hits, it hits pretty hard. And most often it's been tied well, a few times in my life, it's been tied to hormonal changes. And the first time I was medicated for depression was after I had my son, when I had postpartum depression. And I, I literally walked into my OB's office for my sec- two-week appointment, you know, with my baby in, my, in his car seat, and he was two weeks old. And, you know, we're doing the usual stuff, and she's examining me and all of that. And then she says, okay, how are you feeling? And I burst into tears, like on a dime, done. And I had been a wreck. I mean, I had been a veritable wreck, but I just didn't think that that was something that my OB was going to talk to me about. I don't know. I was a little naive about these things. And she looked at me and she went, okay. She pulled out her pad and she wrote a prescription and she said, fill that downstairs and take one before you leave. And I was like, okay. Um, And so... (laughs) The good news, bad news, is that I have a really sensitive system. It's a hair trigger system. Um, I think, I don't know if I've talked about this before on the podcast, but I am what is known as um, an HSP, which is a highly sensitive person. There is a book about it, which I highly recommend, and I'll put it in the show notes. But HSPs, one of the things that happens for us is that we absorb medication fully and completely. So I get high if I take in a leave. (laughs) 
you guys, I'm not even kidding. I mean, not like, you know, I can't drive, but my, my pupils actually dilate. I was walking down the street with a girlfriend once and I had just taken in a leave because I had, you know, hurt myself or something. And I was kind of loopy and she was like, oh my God, what is wrong with you? And I was like, I don't know. So I was like, I took in a leave. She's like, look at me. And I, she looked into my eyes. She goes, dude, your pupils are dilated. <laughs> so... This is why I can't do drugs. This is why, like, I can't smoke pot because it's a nightmare. It's also why if I have surgery, I don't wake up. If it's meant to be outpatient surgery, um, I had some outpatient surgery about 10 years ago, and they couldn't get me out. And it's like, you know, they've got people piling up behind me, and they're like, you, you really have to go. And, like, I couldn't wake up. And my husband was like, we have to leave. And I was literally just like unable to get up so that's the bad news the good news is that it takes me one dose of antidepressants before everything changes <laughs> so that's the good news the other good news about hsps is that we tend to be and this is again good news bad news super empathic like we feel everything you know i feel it for you i feel it for me and then the other thing is that we're really intuitive there's something about the, our sensitivities and our alignment to things around us. And I just learned about this this last year. So anyway, the point about this is that when my OB told me to go take, you know, fill the prescription downstairs and take one the second I left, I did. And it, the results were, it was like immediate, right? And I have been treated for depression other times in my life. Once was right after my divorce. I mean, and I, it's funny because, you know, I've talked about how, Really, when I left my marriage, I was kind of stoked. I felt free. I felt like I was finally getting out of this this really super volatile, super super unhealthy, really sort of repressive marriage. And I was like the the like everything was different and new and exciting and free. But underneath it, I was really suffering. And it took about a year before. I was like, I can't get off the couch and I should probably do something about this. And by the way, this is not, this is, you know, legal disclaimer here. I am not advocating for anybody to go on medication. What I am advocating for is for people to get help. And that's what's really hard. And that's kind of what I wanted to talk about um, in this um, super long introduction to this podcast, which is that I have been super depressed, like in a really bad place for, you know, I say three or four months, I actually don't know. And it's gotten worse and worse and worse and worse. And here's what I know. I know that I'm perimenopausal. So I was attributing it to that, which of course, of course it, it is definitely triggered by that. Um, but it, I be, my life became completely unmanageable. I was barely able to work. I would show up for clients, uh, of course, but it was all I could do, literally all I could do. I was, I don't know if, if you guys have read um, this book by Sandra Singlow. It's called uh, Mad Woman in the Volvo or Minivan. I always get that wrong. Again, I will link it. But it's about perimenopause. And she talks about her mom and being a teenager and watching her mom just start to wander around the house in this darkness where she'd walk into the bedroom and find her mom just sitting on the couch or sitting on her on her bed in darkness and she and she talks about that experience and then as it's starting to happen to her all the feelings about it and at a certain point i realized oh my god that's me i am wandering around in the darkness 
I could do nothing. I could barely engage with my child. I mean, it's, you guys, it was bad. It was bad. You know, and, and in the meantime, like, my friends would be like, let's go out. And we would go out and we would have fun and I would come home and it, it just didn't help. None of it helped. I started to be in social situations, the things that usually got me out of myself, and I couldn't, I couldn't even be present. And I was at a friend's house at a party um, a couple of weeks ago, and it's a party. <laughs> and I'm standing there talking to my friend, and I'm, it's like I'm, I'm talking to people through fog, and he's like, how are you? And I just start crying. And this is sort of the way that it had been for a, for a at least a couple months at this point, where I could, couldn't could even enjoy being at a party or being with a friend. And it was sort of all I could talk about. It was all I could feel. And I left that night and I thought, you know what? This is crazy. I'm here with good friends. I'm, I should be, this should make me happy. I can't even answer the question, how are you? I can't even fake it anymore. So I called my doctor on Monday and I was like, this is an emergency. I need, I need help. Like now I know what I need. This is what I need. And they called in the prescription. And because my system is how it is, Tuesday, I slept most of the day, but I could already feel it. I could already feel that, that it was, it was opening. And by Wednesday, I was a different person. It was like my lights went back on. And that's how I felt ever since. And it's been a couple weeks now and I I can't tell you the difference. And so I'm back recording. And you know, here's the thing. It, you know, I said like if you if you suffer from depression, I want you to get help. But what's what the hardest part is having the clarity and the objectivity to know that's what's going on. I knew I was depressed. I just thought it was perimenopause and this was sort of what I was um uh, sort of relegated to at this point. And the other problem with being an HSP is that we get side effects. We get all the side effects, every side effect, even the ones that the, the 0.1% get, we get them. So it's really hard for me sometimes to be on medication. I have to be on pediatric doses of medication. And I'm hoping that this doesn't ramp up and that I'm, that I'm able to stay on this for a while because, you know, or indefinitely, <laughs> whatever the case may be, because... I really do feel like my light's back on. And, and and so seek help. Please seek help. Again, I'm not advocating for medication. This is my legal disclaimer. But talk to your doctor. Talk to your healthcare uh, practitioner. There are so many options. There are so many options. The number of people that wanted me to go on cannabis at this point um, was staggering. And I can't do that because my system, uh, I just, I don't trust it for myself. But you know, there are holistic and, you know, and at the same time, I cleaned up my diet because I know that sugar was having an impact. Um, I haven't had any alcohol in a few weeks. And that's, you know, a really smart thing to do, uh, especially when you're on meds, um, especially when you're ramping on meds. And I just I feel 150 percent better. So I'm back. I'm with you guys. Uh, if you're still here, thanks. <laughs> And yeah, so now we're going to talk about personal responsibility and owning your shit and why it is the most empowering thing you can possibly do for yourself. All right, let's talk about personal responsibility. 
So when I first met my now ex-husband, I was absolutely, positively, completely incapable of saying the words, I'm sorry. I was 28 years old (laughs) and I couldn't say I was sorry. Um, What's really interesting is that I have very strong memories of being a child. I was, I remember being in nursery school and doing something, an accident or something and hurting something, someone or something that they wanted me to say, I'm sorry. And I couldn't say the words. And I, I, what came out of my mouth now, I was like three or four, but what came out of my mouth was gibberish. I went, so when I say I was incapable of saying, I'm sorry, I was literally (laughs) physically incapable of saying, I'm sorry. Now I grew up, I was raised by uh, a woman, my mother, God lover, who has a really hard time with personal responsibility to the point. It's a huge joke in my family. To the point where my mother loses her, my mother lives alone, and if she loses her glasses, she'll call me, and now my mom is British, and I can't do my mom without doing my mom. So here we go. So she'll call me, and she'll say, someone's stolen my glasses. It's very dramatic. She was an actor. She is a director and an actor. They call her Dame. So she's very much, very much like a dame. And she says, someone's stolen my glasses. And I say, well, mom, I'm sure nobody has stolen. Well, they were right here just five minutes ago. And I'm going, "Um, okay, mom, but there's probably you lost your glasses. You misplaced. Well, I couldn't have. So that's what I was raised with. A few weeks ago, we were going to the theater. And she was directing me because she knew where we were going and I didn't. So I thought, and I said, isn't it just up here on the left? She said, no, no, it's on the right. It'll be on the right. And you can turn into the parking lot on the right. And I said, I really, I thought it was on. Okay. And as we're driving by, sure enough, it it passes us on the left. And I said, wasn't that it, mom? And she said, well, I, I don't know. They must've moved the building. (laughs) So that's what I went. So here's the deal. Like, you know, it's all fun and games. It's hilarious now. And I didn't come by apologizing naturally. I didn't learn the skill of taking responsibility for my own actions. I had to learn it. So when I met my husband, he was like, what the hell? (laughs) He's like, why can't you just say you're sorry? And It took a long time and he actually taught me. He was great at teaching me how to do it properly. At a certain point, I got into a 12-step program and uh, in 12-step work, there are a few steps around this. There's a fourth step, which is basically a personal inventory. And the first step of the inventory is to write down everything that was done wrong to you. And there are many ways to do a fourth step. This is one of the ways. Um, Write down everything that was done to you, every every resentment that you have. So it starts with the resentments. Everything that, that, that you feel was done wrong to you. And then there's another column in which you have to write what your part was in all of that. And it's really hard, right? Because you start off and you're like, yep, and I'm mad at him and I'm mad at him and he did this and she did this. Oh, and in, my, in fourth grade, my teacher did blah, 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 blah. And then you have to flip the script. And it's really challenging. 
And the other side of it is that there is so much freedom. There's so much freedom when you're no longer a victim, when you can own what set you up to be, even if it, it, listen, this is not about making the other person right. I used to think that if I took responsibility for something, I was capitulating. I was giving up. I was giving in. If I was wrong, then he, by definition, was right. And what I didn't realize was that it's not about right and wrong. We all have our own experiences of the world which give us different points of view and we and they give us different ways of interacting with people and of just of being in the world and we're not all the same so this idea that i'm right or you're wrong no it's simply i did this or i felt this and this is my part and this is and what's available in that is ownership and when you take ownership you are given power you take your own personal power, right? And when I, as I began to learn this and I started practicing at home, my husband's response wasn't, ha ha, see, I knew it, I won. It was, hey, thanks, and you know what? I'm sorry too. And here's what I probably did to contribute to this situation. And what it does is it opens up communication and intimacy. So if you're still in a marriage, I strongly recommend this. And you know, here's the deal. It accepting responsibility with another person, it it is the most it is one of the most vulnerable things you can do, right? Because you're trusting them not to be like, "Uh-huh, that's right, motherfucker. Yeah, you did," right? You're trusting them to hold it. Um and we usually when we come to the appropriate people at the appropriate times, vulnerably, they will hold it for us. Now, it is not always safe or appropriate to do so. And it's possible that if your marriage has ended, if you are going through a divorce, it may not be safe or appropriate to take responsibility in front of and for the other person. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it for yourself. Because as I've said a number of times, while 50% of marriages fail in the U.S., 68% of second marriages fail and 73% of third marriages fail. And if you listen to my podcast episode, my last one with Quentin Hafner, Quentin says that the numbers are actually higher now and I don't have current stats, but if they're even higher, it's even worse. We are doing a terrible job at marriage overall. And part of this, I strongly believe, is because we don't take ownership. We don't take personal responsibility. So we keep trading out the one relationship for the next and we keep doing the same shit. Self-awareness, right? It's, it's, a, it's a matter of being self-aware and understanding your behavior patterns so that you can break them or at least have choice over them. Because when we are in a habitual loop of the same patterns over and over and over again, we're not conscious. We're not using our most adult 
brain. We are not present in our highest selves. Usually this is a, an amygdala reaction. This is where we get triggered. And the more objectivity we get, the more self-awareness that we have about our own patterns, our own operating system. I always talk about it like it's our operating system. We all have an operating system. We've got wiring that was installed at birth, and then we've got stuff that was wired as we grew. But the good news is that everything can be rewired. It's why they talk about the brain being plastic. So you can lift up the hood and look at it. You gotta look at it before you can start rewiring shit. And the process of doing this is one of the building blocks of self-esteem. So if you suspect that one of the reasons that you are in the relationship or marriage that you are in or have been in is because you have low self-esteem, taking personal responsibility, getting clear on your operating system and being personally responsible for how you are in the world and who you are in relationship will build your self-esteem. Again, I'm not talking about beating yourself up. This is about ownership, which will lead to power. I'm gonna tell you a story that I uh, have only told a few people and I've told it in some classes uh, that I've run. So I figured why not just tell it to everyone on the internet <laughs> who might be listening to my, my podcast. Um, here's the thing. It's a little bit, it, I was going to say controversial. It's not controversial. It's, um, well, I'm just going to tell you the story. I grew up in New York City and I grew up in New York City in the 70s. And when I was eight years old, I was playing in the park near my house. I grew up on the Upper West Side, so I was playing in Riverside Park. And those of you who know New York, there's, you know, you know that in Central Park and Riverside Park, there are these huge craggy rocks, these big, big sheets of granite that just stick out of the ground. And they're super fun to play on. They're also super fun to sunbathe on. But when you're a kid, they're really fun to play on. And there's one in Riverside Park. And when I was eight years old, I was playing on this rock and uh, I was approached by a man, a strange man, who ended up molesting me in the park when I was eight years old. And when it came time for me to do my inventory work, I had him on my list of resentments. I resented the hell out of that guy for a number of reasons. I think it, it, it definitely had an impact on, uh, on all sorts of things. And so my resentment for this guy was on there. And I remember looking at the person who was my, my mentor at the time who was helping me through this inventory work, sort of like a coach. And she, she was like, okay. And I was like, you want me now to take responsibility? I was like, where is my responsibility? Because this column is not getting filled in for this motherfucker who was like, was like in his 60s and molested an eight-year-old. And she had me tell her the whole story. And the whole story was that I was playing on the rocks. And as this man approached... Every other kid on the rocks scattered. And there was a moment when he approached me and he said, hi. And I remember very vividly thinking to myself that I didn't want to be rude, that I wanted to please him. I knew that I wasn't supposed to talk to strangers, but I also knew that I didn't want to be rude. And I didn't want to appear like I wasn't nice. And so I said hi back. And then he asked me to come and sit down on the rocks in this kind of crevice in the rocks. And I did. And I was scared. But what I realized in doing my own inventory work was that 
my people-pleasing skills were so ingrained and in place by the age of eight that they were more important. It was more important for me to please this man than it was to save myself. And that's not my fault. I came by my people-pleasing, my codependency, really, really naturally. So it's not my fault, but that was where my responsibility lay. That I made a choice in that moment. Every other kid on the rocks made a different choice, but I made a choice to go with him. Now, this does not mean, again, I'm just going to keep hammering away at this, does not mean that I am not a victim of this crime. It was a crime and I was a victim. 100%. But I could see when I did my personal responsibility inventory work that how ingrained my people-pleasing skills, and this is true for many women, um, that we will enter into harmful situations because we don't want to rock the boat. We don't want people to not like us. But the personal power that I got when I got to say what my responsibility was, when I saw that, I still felt like a victim. Of course, I was a victim of a horrible crime. But I felt like there was something that I could do. There was something that I could look at and say, wow, that is a piece of my operating system. That is a piece of my wiring that I want to change because I don't ever want to put myself in danger again. And when I did this work, I was probably uh, 30 and I, I was able to work really hard to change that wiring. I no longer put myself in dangerous situations because I want to please other people because I no longer think that pleasing other people is more important than my own personal safety. And that could be physical safety, emotional safety. It doesn't matter. I now come first. And the only reason that I am that kind of woman today and the only reason that I'm able to make those choices is because I saw my responsibility in a choice that I made when I was eight years old. There's another piece to this. I'm going to shift a little bit here because there's another piece to personal responsibility. And that is looking at, there's this distinction about what happened versus what we made it mean or what we made up about what happened. I'll use the example um, that let's say my boyfriend is late and what's happening is my boyfriend's late. What I make it mean is that I'm unworthy, that he doesn't love me. I make it mean all sorts of shit. And when I get triggered like that and I go to these places, right, if I look at what's happening, he's late. I don't know why he's late. You know, if he, if he hasn't texted or called, and sometimes if he, even if he does text or call, I still get this trigger, right? But now I know I've done enough self-work and discovery and inventory work, and I've learned to take responsibility for things that so much, I've looked under my own hood. I know my operating system so well that I know that like, oh, I'm getting triggered because when I was younger, my dad would often be late to pick me up for weekends and then sometimes he wouldn't show up. And so that my dad was going through his own thing at the time. He's great. He's fine now. He's amazing and I love him. But, you know, I, I would I learned that I was being triggered. I was being triggered to something that happened to to me before. Now, before I knew what was happening and what my trigger was, the guy would show up and get the wrath of like, 25 years worth of shit. He would get all of it. 
it wasn't until I was able to understand and see my part and see what I was actually doing and look under the hood and get in touch with my operating system that I was able to derive my own power from that and to say, oh, well, look, that's a trigger. Oh, that has nothing to do with him. And now I react like a normal human being if someone's late. (laughs) And if they're chronically late, I get to say, hey, so this is actually a trigger for me. I'm not going to lay it on you, but I just want you to know that this triggers me. And this is an issue from my childhood. And if someone, you know, really cares about me, they'll go, oh my gosh, you know what? I will look for that and I'll work on that. And I make a request. I say, hey, this is a trigger for me. So if you're going to be late, I would really appreciate a text. And also, I would love it if you weren't late because it would really help me (laughs) not to, you know, freak out. It's kind of my thing. And it opens up, again, opens up communication, opens up intimacy, opens up vulnerability. It does take vulnerability to say that to someone. And it, you know, should be at an appropriate time. But all this to say that when we take personal responsibility, it is the most empowering thing that we can do. And you can do it either in a relationship or after the relationship, even if you don't say to your ex, I did this or I did that or take responsibility. When I work with my clients, we do this really in-depth inventory work because I don't ever want them to repeat these patterns. I don't want my clients, I don't want you to be the 68% or the 73% or higher. I don't want you to repeat the same patterns. I want you to learn and uh, and change and grow so that you can find happiness within yourself and in a relationship. So that's all I have to say about personal responsibility. And if you have any questions, I love hearing from you guys. You can go to my website, kateanthony.com. There's a contact me page. There's also a little pop-up. I love getting messages and notifications from people. It helps me know um, that you're enjoying what I'm putting out. And if you are enjoying what I'm putting out and you wanna leave me a review on iTunes, that'd be awesome too. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. You can find me over at kateanthony.com and be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes so you don't miss an episode. See you next time.